As we connect with the animal world, then we also start to connect with our powers of empathy. Mm. And then that opens out our powers of compassion. And then we start to engage with our humanity. So until we can connect with empathy and compassion for another being, then we are not fully engaged with our humanity. Hey everyone, Raghu back with Mind Rolling and with an old friend now. You've become an old friend, John. John Lockley, my friend from South Africa, who, uh, well, welcome to the show. I'll explain later. Thanks, Raghu. It's great to be here. <laughs> so, uh, John is in the Sangoma tradition. Uh, um, well, no, it's you explain this to me. I always get this wrong. You're a trained African shaman or sangoma, which is a sh- another word for shaman, sangoma? Yes, that's that's uh, the African word for, or the southern African word for diviner, for traditional healer. Oh, really? Or you could Got say uh, a traditional shaman, yes. It only took me about f- f- five years to get. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But it's in the tradition, is the Swazi and Kota, traditions from South Africa. So uh, I just, uh, I talked, we've been talking, John and I, for for a number of weeks. Uh, John, by the way, has joined me as a uh, part of my country, my home country, Canada, who mm-hmm. spends half the time there. Um, but we've been talking and uh, uh, certainly a, a favorite subject and something that John has delved into mightily over the last years is around uh, conservation and um, basically how do we stop this process of extinction that is going on and, uh, and, and you know, rewilding is the term you use for us to get back to, our, uh, to the roots of indigenous wisdom and share that. So, uh, yeah, I just just talk a little bit about um, how you feel about what it is. I mean, I know you're, you've really been getting out there with people in South Africa and meeting different people who are involved in the process of uh, trying to take action regarding both the extinction that is going on the environmental degradation that is going on and the way in which we are have we are very adrift of the essential ingredients that indigenous peoples have to share with us can you just start the ball that way yes it's interesting because when i first started my sangoma training which was in the 90s it was south africa just came out of a civil war and it came out of an area of what we call apartheid. Apartheid means separation. And then it was a separation between black people and white people. And then as I started traveling around the world, and as the years went by, I saw that there's even a bigger separation or apartheid happening. And that's between people and animals, between people and nature. In particular, modern people, you know, people who are living in cities and have got ordinary jobs and things like that, they seem to have got separated from their natural roots, 
And with that comes this, this terrible form of apartheid where nature and animals turn into things or things that they can acquire. And um, so I, I decided to start a, a program or retreat called Dreams and Tracking in the Kalahari, where we take modern people into the Kalahari and we teach them indigenous skills. So we teach them the ways of connecting to their seven senses. I call it the way of the leopard. So connecting to your senses, connecting to the land and following the tracks in the sand and connecting to your heartbeat. These are very simple mindfulness techniques, but they're rooted in the land and then showing people how the land speaks back to them as they become more mindful of their own bodies and more mindful of their own electrical, chemical um, energy field around them, which I talk about as the, the Bushmen talk about as the ngum. So ngum is electricity. And every human being has electricity. And we have to learn how to connect with our own ngum, with our own electricity. And then from there What's the on, word, learn, John? Say the word. Again. Uh, it's called ngum. It's a... Uh, it I'm not, yeah, there's a click there, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure of the spelling, but the ngum is like life force. It's like prana, uh. but it's, it's, it's experience as a form of electricity. And that experience comes through when you're doing the trance dance and it kind of starts going through your body. I think mm. the Indian people would talk about it as kundalini energy, yeah. but it's very, it can be very painful because it's this real strong burst of electricity going through the mm. spine. Wow. And then this infuses your whole being. And uh, it's basically a lightning energy or life force. So the first step is to teach people, in particular modern people, how to connect to their ngum, how to connect to that electricity, which is flowing inside of them and around them. And um, so we teach people plant medicine. We teach people how to track the animals. And um, so this has become a primary focus of my work now. Yeah, how does that how does that equate though? Just those couple of things. Obvi plant medicine is pretty obvious in terms of really come to connectivity with that uh, life force, that prana that you're speaking of. But how about tracking on? That sounds very abstract to me, especially teaching modern people something like that. How does that enhance that connection? Well, tracking is basically following the signs, following the signs in the sand, following the signs around us. So you can track anything. You can track your dreams. You can track animals. You can tr track pigeons. Tracking is, is learning to follow something outside yourself. So how does it inform that room or electricity? It informs it by, as you're listening to that electrical field inside of you and you're developing a relationship with it, then as you are walking outside, you are taking notice of what is around you. So you're taking notice of, let's say you're tracking animals, you're looking for lion in the bushveld. Then you are focusing the room, you're focusing that electrical field around you into the focus of connecting with the lion. Mm. And why is it important to connect to the lion? Because the animals are great gurus, they're great teachers. As we connect to the animal world, then our senses open more and we start to connect more with nature. So the focus of tracking animals is actually to spend time with animals and to spend time and learn 
the language beyond English, French, or Italian, but the language mm. of nature, which animals teach us. Mm. Well, I can relate because we don't have any lions around here or zebras or any such kind of ex exotically phenomenal species. But we have, and I'm, I'm not more than 50 feet from it right now outside my house, a gigantic pine tree. I mean, really huge. And when we first came here, they said, in that pine tree are roosts of red-tailed hawks. And that's where they're, you know, they take care of their young and do their, their entire lives take place around this tree. It's phenomenal. So I have been, or we, just watching them. And, yeah. I, and I film them a little bit, but more watching them and then seeing them soaring in the sky and then roosting elsewhere for a bit and then coming back. Their majesty is extraordinary, of course. Mm. So I get what you're saying because I have been connecting with that with their energy and and so, you know, feeling that life force for sure. I get it. I get it. That's good. Yeah. And it's as we connect to the animal world, even if it's just a pigeon in the park or it could be a chipmunk or a squirrel, it doesn't have to be a, an animal that has a lot of glamour or power attached to it. As we connect with the animal world, then we also start to connect with our powers of empathy. Mm. And then that opens out our powers of compassion. And then we start to engage with our humanity. So until we can connect with empathy and compassion for another being, then we are not fully engaged with our humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautifully said. You know, I'm thinking about apartheid when you were talking about it. What do you think of the, that we each harbor our apartheid within ourselves because we are so separated Mm -hmm. from our true selves. We are so involved with our I, that I that is really related to who we think we are and our thoughts and our stories, but not necessarily to that true part of us that's behind all of that stuff that is more involved with uh, our relationship with the divine presence, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a quite a reality that has to be dealt with? Uh, and and then because you're talking about apartheid, mm. black and white, you know, just very definitive um, sim symbols and symbolic uh, relationships. But how about considering that we ourselves within us? I heard are you know it's a problem for us. We are so living in separation. There was um, a monk. Uh, that was a, a devotee of Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the great Vietnamese master, who you know. Yes. And uh, so he said, for the first 20 years he was with Tay, as they called him, he tried 150,000% to be the perfect monk, the perfect meditator, the perfect, and it never worked. He said, it just didn't work. I still had that dichotomy inside myself until he said, I left, <laughs> I, 
It's a little similar to you, actually. I left being a monk and I went and had a family and got married. After that, I had the kind of, my insides joined up. There was not that separation that was that was happening before. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah, that's amazing. And, and when, when you're talking, I think it just brings to mind what we're talking about in terms of animals. So we, we are connected to our own stories. We're connected to this apartheid between our idea of who we think we are via story and ego and the truth of who we really are. Um, this is what's going on all the time. But when you connect with an animal or a being that you just absolutely love, so in my case at the moment, it's my little boy who's mm. just about to turn two. When you're connecting to something other than yourself, another being, whether it's an animal or a loved one, then that eye of separation drops and that compassion opens up a lot more inside of you. Mm. So when we're talking about tracking animals, it's about communing with the animal and plant world. And the basis of that is love. And it could start in your own home with your own cats or even the next door neighbor's cat. We've fallen in love with our next door neighbor's cat. And, and it's quite amazing because he just jumps over the wall and every now and then he just comes mm. and follows us. And he's mm. this big, fat, um, chubby cat, but he's, he's really gorgeous. And my mm. little guy just falls in love with him. And as you fall in love with, with an animal, um, something changes inside of you. So the animal world has got great medicine great medicine to, to teach us. And um, the great path of awakening is there looking at us every day when we look outside a window and we see the birds and the hawks and they're just beckoning us to wake up. Mm. Well, it's a, and it certainly is a practice to have mm. that perspective and have it. mindfulness is really what we're talking about. So that when you do just take a walk around the block, uh, all of that is available. It's just switching gears, really, how you see things. It's being more, uh, a lot more awareness of something other than just thinking about what you got to do today and what happened yesterday and, and what you're hoping for for tomorrow. The old be here now thing that our friend espoused. That's right. That's right. Ram John was with. Wonderful. That, it's so great that you were. Uh, John was with us at a couple of retreats in Maui with Ramdas, and I'm just. I was just thinking that's great that that happened. That you managed to get over John to see. Yes, yeah, thanks to you, Raghu. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. So thank you. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're talking about species extinction, which is extraordinarily obvious, a serious issue. You talked about one species in particular, and I never heard of the species, and I wonder if you wouldn't tell us a little bit about who they are, pangolins, which you say are the most endangered species on the planet today. That's right, yes. It's terrible, really, what's happening to pangolins. So, Where are they? Pangolins are found in, in Africa, and I think they are found in other parts of the world, but predominantly Africa at the moment. It's a land mammal? Yes. And they feed on termites and ants and small insects. And they're seen as a, as a keystone species because they, they help to, to bring harmony to the ecosystem through eating ants and termites and things like that. And, um, and if they go extinct or their numbers reduce, it, it affects those, those other species 
in a, in a, in a massive way. So, um, so it's happening now um, where the pangolins are being hunted indiscriminately for their for their scales and really? um, to 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 turn into special medicines and things like that. And it's 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 really terrible. And it's back to 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 um, to the criminal syndicates that mm. are involved in in all kinds of of um, activities around the world, um, not just not just poaching. And um, yeah, so I was called on recently to to help spread awareness about the pangolins in the in the form of of doing a chant, uh, Sangoma chant, and uh, so that's what I did. So that's how I found out more about the pangolins uh, through the Pangolin Institute in South Africa. Mm. And they're like eighty. Well, they're they're quite old, eighty six million years old. Mm. How the hell they found that out? I'd like to know, but we'll <laughs> take it on face value. Um, yeah, so they've survived millions of years, and now we've managed to eradicate or on our way to. I mean, eradicating them. Yes, this is so sick. it's it's a real it's a real sign of you know the sign of the of the canary in the mines, you know, they send down people into the mines in the olden days that they'd, they'd always send them with a cage of canaries. And when the canaries started dying, it was a sign that the methane gas or the gas deep down was, was mm. too toxic for humans and that they must come to the surface quickly. So this it's almost the same with the pangolins on the verge of extinction as a sign that uh, human beings need to change direction really, really quickly. And um, mm. and the focus yeah. really is modern human beings who have lost that connection to the land. So um, hence my my focus on dreams and tracking retreats, and also simple ways to help people ground themselves in nature and in the world around them. It's it's not a big movement that people need to make to start opening their consciousness to the animal world. They don't have to become massive activists and. Uh, that kind of thing. They just need to have a bit more awareness about the other beings around them. Well, let's go further, a little further into that, because if nothing, we always like to relate whether the things that we can do to help ourselves get more in balance every day and help the planet, basically, and our fellow inhabitants get more in balance every day. So a little bit more about how we can activate this to get that connectivity as you're speaking of? So the first thing is, is that you wake up in the morning, you have a cup of tea and you look outside the window. So before you have that moment of looking outside the window, maybe the old story or old karma is, is, is engaged. You know, maybe you're grumpy, maybe you had a difficult dream, maybe you didn't sleep well the night mm. before. Whatever the story is, it's going around your head. You've all been there. And... Um, what I encourage people to do is to just look outside the window and pay attention to what's happening to the animals outside the window. And uh, I remember being in Canada a few years ago and looking outside the window and having my cup of coffee and going through the story that we all go through with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then I, my attention went to, to the animals in the snow, to the sparrows. And I was so amazed. It was like minus 20 or 30 degrees Celsius <laughs> outside. And here these sparrows were, were surviving and they were struggling, but they were surviving. And the next thing my awareness went to stray cats that were wandering through the snow. Mm. They were also surviving, but uh, I wondered how they were doing. And I was intrigued. So it became like a bit of a, a hobby for me to, 
pay attention to how these cats were surviving and the sparrows. So through that, I actually ended up befriending the local cats in the area and the sparrows. <laughs> you ended up what? Befriending. I ended oh, up you, befriending you, the local you had a cats whole gang. And, and, and the sparrows. And they started teaching me and showing me things just through, through, through my love and my awareness mm. of them. Mm. I started learning about their world. So that's all that we need to do is just sending out a pulse from your heart to theirs of love and then paying attention to how are they living. Mm. Now, the same thing happened to a, to a friend of mine, Craig Foster, who did this beautiful movie on my octopus teacher. Mm. Phenomenal. Movie. And it's a phenomenal movie uh, documentary. And the way it happened was in a similar way. He was diving underwater and he encountered an octopus. And the next thing was, I wonder how this octopus lives. And he just started to observe the octopus. And then he started following the octopus. And then there was this interspecies communication between the octopus and him in such a way that the octopus rested on his chest. And then something profound happened with him, something beyond understanding. Yeah. And this is a call for each one of us. Doesn't matter where you are, this is open to each human being. This interspecies communication is open to each one of us. Doesn't matter if you're in a high-rise building in Tokyo or London, it's open to you. Hmm. I love this idea, John. Get up and, you know, you have that thought of, you know, taking you away from just being here or just being grateful you did get up. Yeah. Hey, here's an opportunity. Yeah. Open up the blind and it's teeming out there. You're right. No matter if it's a city or the country or whatever. And you can connect instead of following this trail of thoughts, uh, you know, from grumpy, that would be me early in the morning, and or, or all the way to the concerns that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. This is, a, and it's a, no more or less a wonderful little mindfulness uh, awareness practice that uh, it could be very powerful. I like it. And it breaks that loop of mm. poor me, why me, what's yeah. this, what's that. It breaks that loop when you just, it's almost like pushing pause. And that pause button gets longer and longer the more that love mm. and attraction to the other grows. So you've developed this in my case, this relationship or love for these cats and the sparrows in the neighborhood. And then that pause in terms of reaching out to them and looking at what's happening to them, it just, it starts to expand over time. And uh, so then I have a little, a little feed tray for the sparrows and I, you know, <laughs> feed them. And then I notice little things. I notice that they eat a lot, you know, <laughs> yeah, almost every day that, that I have yeah. to fill up the feed tray. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, well, you, uh, you, you go to the Kalahari and you do retreats there and you experience uh, lions mm. and, and incredible large wildlife, right? Yes. In that spot. And you talk about going with a friend, Alwyn. I'm not sure who Alwyn is. Yeah, Alwyn is actually, he's the tracker. It's his company. So he runs. Uh -huh, that you go with. Yeah, uh -huh. so, so he runs the the safari side of it, and I run the, the spiritual or the dreaming, the traditional African medicine side. Right. 
and uh, maybe just say something so people really get the idea of one of the central uh, practices uh, in the uh, Kosa or Swazi tradition that you are uh, part of is a dream, dreams. Yes, we are diviners. Yeah, we are dreamers in the sense that uh, you could say we are like traditional yogis, Indian yogis, in the sense that we, we connect to the dream. Um, and the, the dream, in terms of when you sleep at night, you connect to your dreams and then your dreams guide you. So when we say tracking your dreams means being mindful of the dreams you have at night and then noticing how those dreams are informing your life. So maybe you, what we look for is we say, so the white dreams, those prophetic dreams, those dreams where you get messages from the divine. You could say ancestors, the great spirit, but at the end of the day, it's from the divine. It's from, it's from a space beyond the here and now, but it's informing your life. Um, mm. So in the words of, of the ancient uh, Bushmen or Khoisan, who are our medicine ancestors in Southern Africa, they, uh, they would say, the Khoisan would say that uh, this world that we are living is being dreamt by the, the great dreamer everything we're experiencing is being dreamt by the great dreamer. So in order for us to connect with our life, we need to connect to the great dreamer, Mamata. Mm-hmm. And then we, the way we do that is, is very similar to, to, to the tradition of Niyam Krali Baba and Ramdas, and that's through prayer, through chanting. So mm-hmm. the beautiful chants of Krishna Das have a similar kind of intonation or similar kind of vibration to some of our sangoma and gomas or chants. And the reason is, is because it's taking us to the dream time. We call it the dream time, to the spirit realm where me and you are together, where there's no separation, where the collective unconscious or the great spirit or the great dreamer is informing everything that we see and touch. Mm. And our job and focus is to connect to the great dreamer. Mm. Mm. The great dreamer. So, but you you mentioned that when you went on that particular Kalahari retreat, retreat, both of you, I believe, yeah, you both uh, had experiences, uh, dreams of lions. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I have I've had a number of 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 very powerful interspecies communication dreams, and also with the divine. You could say Kamata. But I could share one small story, and that is, you know, for, for that first retreat, which was three different retreats. So for the listeners, it was three different retreats of seven days each and um, three different groups of people. And we can only have small groups, so we only have eight to ten people per retreat mm. um, because you don't want loads of people walking through the savannah or through the desert. And we were tracking uh, um, a pride of lions for seven weeks. We were tracking them and we didn't see them, but we just connected with their, their, their spoor, with their, the tracks in the sand. And then on the final retreat, we actually saw them. And oh. they seemed to be very scared of us, actually. It was about seven lions and they were huge, but they were very scared of us and they kept running further and further away. And Owen was quite surprised because in the beginning he thought that they hadn't, they hadn't ever seen human beings. And he thought that maybe they, they just never encountered humans. And then this feeling changed a little bit for him because of the way they responded to us. 
And then we, we, he had this very powerful kind of experience at night where you heard these sounds. And then when he woke up in the morning, he said the lions had just had a kill. They'd just taken out an, a young antelope and they were feeding quite close to the campsite. So then we, we went in the jeeps and we followed the, the, the tracks in the sand and we came across this pride of, of seven lions who were quite young. And, um, and then the retreat ended and I flew back to South Africa and he stayed in Botswana. And then I had this very profound dream where one of the lions, it was, it was one of the alpha males, was walking towards me in the dream. And it was like it was no longer a dream. So this mm-hmm. is the way we work as Sangormas. We work to a point where the dreaming is so poignant and so vivid that it's more vivid than this waking state. Mm, And when we have a dream like that, we know that we are making contact with, we say, the divine or Kamata. So this lion came walking towards me and I was afraid in the dream. I thought, is he going to attack me? But he didn't. And he was almost, almost pensive, like he wanted to have a communication or a conversation with me. And I waited and he looked at me and he had almost white, 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 fur, you know, in the, in the tradition of the Kalahari lions. And, um, and then there were these people in the dream and there was this whirlwind of energy. And I felt it was got to do with the retreats that we were running, but there was something very poignant about the lion. The lion had a message for me. So then I woke up in a, in a cold sweat from the dream and I had my coffee as we do when we wake up. And, and then I WhatsApp my friend Awen in Botswana. And I said, I had this powerful dream about a lion. And he said, me too. Mm. And I said, can you talk? He was like, yep, I can talk. And then we had this conversation and he described having a very, very similar dream. But in his dream, because of his relationship with the animals for over 20 or 30 years as a tracker and safari guide, he said the lion, it was the same lion that spoke to him and it actually started to have a conversation with him. And it said that they were being poached and their bones were being poached and they were in danger, their lives were in danger, and that uh, could he please do something. So he started making contact in the area, and he found out that it was true. The the lions were being poached, and they were being poached for their bones. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. You know, I don't, I, two nights ago, had a, a a dream, very vibrant dream. And I don't believe I have ever had a dream like this before. I have been to Africa. I have actually gone on safari <laughs> to, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, different through Lake Manyara and, and all of that in Tanzania and so on, Kenya. And, um, and I've seen prides of lions. But I had this dream, John, that suddenly I was with people and each one of us had, uh, as if you had, we all had our, our dogs that we came together and we were just going to, you know, take a walk around the block, that kind of a thing. And I had this beautiful Lion, oh, look, for those of you, uh, John just put up a beautiful picture of uh, an African lion. Uh, you can see it on YouTube, 
this version of the podcast, but uh, it was so loving, my connection with this animal. I can't remember anything of substance, meaning was there any communication or anything like that, but the, the, the love was substantial. There was absolutely no fear of this wild animal. Nor was a, nor was there anything like that with the other people. I remember one person next to me had a black panther, actually. Uh, so I had this amazing dream, and I thought, "Wow, I'm ta- I'm going to be talking to John." And I had noticed, you know, in the talking points that we we went over before the uh, before this podcast of course and i know that you've been doing these uh, wildlife retreats in the kalahari so i don't know if that had anything to do with it but this was a very unusual experience this particular dream wow i mean that's really beautiful and as you're talking ragu i'm thinking about the legend of the Khoisan, the legend of the Bushman people of the Kalahari, and one of their legends and one of their medicine skills that is very magical and 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 modern people are in awe of, and that is not just the trance dance but also shape shifting. Oh. Uh, they speak about shape shape shifting, and the two animals that are quite common are the lion, shape shifting into a lion, mm. and also the the baboon. But the lion was a story that came to us, uh, the first retreat where Aun was actually on a pilgrimage to meet one of these uh, Bushman ladies that uh, was seen to be a shapeshifter that moved into the, into the shape of a lion. And uh, the story wow. with her was that she lived very in, in, the, in the middle of nowhere with her family and it was some kind of there was some kind of disaster where her family members died and she was the only one who survived. And, um, and then the local people said she developed this gift of turning into a lion. And one day when she was in the shape of a lion, um, she crossed over to the farm of a local farmer who shot her. And the testament to her being a shapeshifter was that she has the buckshot on her legs from where Whoa. she was shot as a lion. And um, so a number of people wanted to try and meet her because of this ability. And, um, and then recently, Owen and I were speaking about this in the discussion about the spiritual side in terms of interspecies communication and, and things which are very grounded, you know, like, like the conversations you and I have, um, Raghu. And, um, and he said to me that he had a conversation with one of the local guides recently from that area of the Kalahari and uh, it was literally about about six weeks ago and he said this young guy he was speaking to is very techie and he has an iPhone and I mean he has a cell phone and he has computers and he's very well educated and and um, and he's very good at the technology and Alwyn said to him so what do you make of this shape-shifting because he's been brought up with it in the local community mm. and he said he turned to me John and he was quiet and he was serious. And he said, you know, this phenomena or phenomenon of shape-shifting is as real as the sun rising mm-hmm. and the sun setting. <laughs> wow. And he said, and he was quiet about it because it's a mystery that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Another part of the mystery, and that's our refusal to accept it unless a scientist 
has expressed its uh, their uh, support through through their very rational lens that we don't accept it at all. Although His Holiness the Dalai Lama is starting to change that by working with uh, various scientists to even prove out all of the meditative techniques and what happens to people under those kind of conditions. So hopefully that'll continue. But yeah, our our devotion to the rational is extraordinary. Um, so... You talked about uh, my octopus teacher. Teacher, by the way, everybody got to see this film. It's just really, really, uh, very, very worthwhile. And uh, by the way, John, like in a retreat with Ramdas, with uh, that Roshi Joan Halifax was at. Yes, she said, just off the, you know, top of her mind. Suddenly, by the way, she goes. They have done experiments in various, I can't remember which university or which institution on uh, with octopus. They have as about as much sensitivity as we have, okay, mm-hmm. to all phenomena. Mm-hmm. Don't eat octopus. Mm-hmm. And she really made a huge, st- uh, you know, and I trust her, and of course, yeah. uh, 100%. And I stopped in because I was before. And how ignorant mm. can you get? I felt, but uh, then I saw this documentary with uh, Craig, and uh, yeah, talk about the time you've had with him and 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 you tracking octopus, right? <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, Craig and I have been friends for a number of years and uh, he was the one who actually inspired me about going to the Kalahari. And, um, and uh, so we always talk about nature and, and animals. And, um, and he just said he would love to take me tracking underwater and, and experience, experience what it's like. So, so I went. I went this year. I think it was about February very March this year. And uh, I'd actually just had COVID, a bit like yourself, Raghu. And I was, I was, I'd, I'd recovered from COVID, but not, not me. I was, I'm a COVID hey? virgin. I hey. never had COVID. <laughs> I thought you had COVID. No. Oh, okay. I thought you Knock had COVID. on wood. But you, you missed the bullet. You, you, you missed it. I missed it. Well, it's still with us. So, oh, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so I got I got COVID in December, and I was still was I recovered from it, but I, I, my body was still not feeling great, you know. Mm. And um, so then Craig invited me February or March, and uh, and I said, oh, just by the way, I'm not feeling so great, still getting over COVID. And he said, okay, well, hopefully this is going to heal you. And I was like, okay. So he before we went into the water, he encouraged me to go into this ice, this ice bath, which was very, I mean, very, very cold. <laughs> so I submerged yeah. myself in this ice water yeah. and then held my breath and did a number of things in the water. And, um, and then afterwards we went, we went swimming and uh, we didn't have a wetsuit and it was quite cold in the kelp forests. And um, we, we, yeah, we found an octopus quite quickly and we started swimming with it. And it was the most incredible thing, the most amazing thing. Wow. So I was, uh, I was, I was multitasking in three different directions. I was trying to keep up with with Craig in the water because he's a very good swimmer. <laughs> I was trying to deal with the currents that were quite mm. strong beneath us, and the third thing was searching for the animals beneath the waters, 
One is the octopus and also sharks. We had some sharks there in the kelp mm. forests. But the sharks were small sharks, so they weren't dangerous. Um, but every now and then, one of one of the guys in the group would be like, John, did you see the shark? And I was like, no, no, I didn't see it. I was trying to, <laughs> trying to deal with the current, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Well, what he did, yeah. yeah, what he did though with that picture in terms of the reality of of who animals really are and how how much we are connected with them and how f- far adrift we are, having lost that connection for the most part. So people like uh, you all, and you know, it's important important work and we go back to the original thing that we've been talking about right which is how do we stop the this um environmental degradation with both animals and of course the the earth and how do we connect back with what we can be taught by indigenous peoples i love where you say by the way at one point you were uh working uh, with with Bushmen, right? And mm-hmm. um, and I think just your comment about um, seeing this ancient tribe of people still surviving in this crazy world, you know, how, I mean, it's how how long can that go on? I don't know. I mean, my prayers go out to them, and that's also another focus of running these retreats because the money that we get from the retreats is helping the lodge people, it's helping the Bushman people, it's helping to spread awareness, it's helping everyone who's part of the team with the conservation of not just the land, but also the trackers, because a lot of the trackers are Bushman people and it gives them a job, you know, it gives them something to be proud of. So uh, so this is what's inspired me to keep going, to keep bringing people. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big thing, you know? Yeah. But there's one other aspect that uh, actually you and I have talked about this uh, some time back mm. and what we can learn from animals. And I, I think that uh, one of the, the head, head, headline topics of this was learning how to live with discomfort, which in our modern times, all of us succumb to that, uh, what I would call a modern disease and I'm right in the center of it myself, absolutely, yeah, yeah. of uh, just constant, the proclivity in any situation is how can I be comfortable, not how do I work with discomfort. And um, yeah, and so your work with animals has informed you in this area, right? Yeah, that's right, and, and I had a... I had a wonderful experience when we went into the went into the Okavanga Delta recently, and um, where we were setting up camp. And just before we were setting up camp, here's the Okavanga Delta. This is a beautiful image here. Oh, just wow. before we were setting up camp, we were just on a game drive, just me and Arwen, and we came across a pride of lions, and it must have been about fourteen to seventeen lions. Really, and large. just, just they're just moving through the savanna, and they came past our car, and they were very, very close, and I got to hear their breath, and I got to see their faces, and you know they were not having an easy time, they were not having an easy time. I could see their ribs; mm. they looked very thin, 
and I could see the scars on their faces. Mm. They had these scars on their faces. And coming from the modern world, it was such a teaching that we complain about the weather. If the weather isn't good, we want to turn on the AC, we want to turn on the heating. Everything must be climatized so we are feeling comfortable. Yeah. When in fact, what we need to do is befriend the discomfort. And this is what this line was teaching me in this moment. This line was befriending the discomfort of the weather, the weather that can go to 40 degrees Celsius. And at that time, the whole pride was struggling because they weren't getting enough food. So I was speaking to Alwyn and he was describing to me the reasons why they, they hadn't been fed recently and they hadn't found any food. And, um, and they had to keep moving because it was a big pride. And I could feel their level of discomfort, but I could also feel that they had befriended that, that this was part of nature for them, that they weren't complaining, that they just, this was what they expected. This is nature. And, um, and the more we spent time with the lions and then the other animals, it also became part of a teaching for me personally. And one of the things we have to do actually with retreatants, me included, in the, in, in the Kalahari is to befriend the weather, just the, the sheer harshness of the temperatures and, um, mm. and what that speaks to. You know, you get emotional when it gets too cold or too hot. And, um, and this is the teaching. We have to find our edge. So the lion finds its edge through facing its discomfort. And we have to find our edge as human beings and as modern human beings through facing our spiritual poverty. Not being able to dream about our ancestors is a sign of illness in the Sangoma world. Mm. So facing wow. our spiritual poverty and our disconnection from our humanity, that should give us our edge. And then the next thing is that we need to pilgrimage and pray and do the work of, of say, Niam Krali Baba and Ram Das or other teachers, depending on your lineage or your, your, what path you follow. Your hunger is where you need to find your edge and then that needs to turn into some kind of practice. What do you do? I mean, I'm just fantasizing. I was fantasizing when you were talking about the uh, <laughs> retreats. Sorry, but I was thinking, wow, I'd like to go out there with my partner. That would be great. Uh, We'd love to have you, Rob. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do. And then we start talking about the different situations around uh, what's happening to wildlife. And how do you... I just even without doing it and just hearing you, there's a bit of uh, this feeling of disconsolate, of, of unease uh, in myself that, uh, oh, you know, boy, I feel like there's not much. It's that nihilistic kind of sense that this is all going in a very, very wrong direction. And, and you see, of course, what's going on with, look what's happening in Europe, the war and, and pandemics and so on. It's obviously an extremely difficult time. So it's easy to become disconsolate uh, about many things. But I particularly have such a love for animals. And I, I wonder how to, um, I mean, I have enough practice, so I, 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 I can answer my own question, but I'd like you to answer it. Yeah. How do you deal with it? 
well, we need to do a prayer for the wilderness, a prayer for the animals, rather than thinking about our own enlightenment and our own spiritual attainments. And uh, we need to just say, well, what can we do to help the animal world? And wherever you are, high rise in Tokyo or London or wherever you are, if you're feeling, what can I do to help the animal world? And then the next thing, open your window, go onto your patio and then feed the pigeons and even say to the pigeons as they come down, what can I do to help the animals? Mm. And then be prepared to listen. See, the thing is with humans, we, we don't listen very well. And one of the things we teach people when we come into the Kalahari is how to listen, how to listen in concentric circles. And the first rule of tracking is how to listen to your own heartbeat. And the next rule is, or rather guidance, is how to listen to the birds. The birds are teaching us all the time. We have to learn the language of the birds, but it's only going to happen when you have that moment of love and empathy mm. for the other. And that can happen wherever you are in the world. There's birds everywhere. You can put some bird seed out and you can just say, I am sorry what we are doing to, to you and to the world and other animals. Show me what can we do as humans to spread more love and more togetherness. And it's such a simple action of love, but that's where the animal communication and interspecies dialogue starts. And when we had our little campsite um, originally in the Kalahari, you can see the first retreat we were at this campsite, which we made, you can see the image behind me. And um, it was very, very hot. And I was speaking to Alwyn and I said, what can we do about the birds? And he said, we need to put some, like a little bird bath out, out so we can give the birds water. And then the birds came and they came and fed on the water, the bird bath, which we created. And then, you know, what started happening? The birds started speaking to us, you know, with bird song and then guiding us towards the animals and the animal tracks. Wow. <laughs> Such a simple gesture of a prayer it's uh, just like waking up in the morning and picking up your blind and looking outside and connecting the, yes. these little things are really what it's all about not the big grand gesture of i'm going to get enlightened so i'll sit in a cave for 35 <laughs> years yeah um and and what you say uh, as human beings we have forgotten how to serve the planet, and I would add our fellow humans, and that's uh, that's uh, that stands out as the number one thing. As okay, you need some motivation. Look around us. I don't think you there. There is any necessity to find ways in which to motivate, to have mm -hmm. the intention to reconnect, and to and in some way serve. So all of this is really invaluable, John. And we get so much from that connection with the, with the animal world and the plant world. But, uh, you know, we're talking about animals here, but we get so much from that relationship. You know, they give so much when you give from your heart. And um, it's, it, there's so much that happens in that space between, between you and the animal. And uh, when you were doing, let's say, animal communication, Owen was teaching us animal communication on the retreat. And, and he was saying, you just send an image in your mind of, of what you, of, 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 of greeting to the animals. Let's say it's a kudu 
or Chem's book or even a line, you just send a greeting from your heart, a greeting mm-hmm. of love. And, mm-hmm. and that's the start of animal communication. It's just sending this image because animals will communicate telepathically. So when you send it from your heart and then you wait and listen, then that's the start of the relationship. Mm. Perfection. <laughs> How would you like to do... John has done another podcast that we've done together and in retreat. Uh, wonderful uh, meditations to, uh, and we would, I would, I like the word you used it, pause, whatever can help pause at any point uh, during the day uh, is what we all could use. So John, do you want to do a little meditation here? Yes. So I think the first thing to do is to feel your life force. Feel your electricity around you. And uh, one of the best ways of doing that is just to put your hand on your, on your heartbeat or on the wrist point of the heart pulse on your wrists and just breathe into your own life force. Just taking a moment to breathe into your own current of electricity, your own your own chronic field and just breathe into that with compassion so first we have to show compassion for our own limitations our own ignorance our own misunderstandings and just breathe into this electrical field called you and to wait and have a sense of listening. So when I say listening, you might not hear your heartbeat, but when I say listen, you suddenly bring your awareness to the sides and around you. That's what the sense of listening does. So you're feeling your heartbeat and have a sense of listening to it. And then I'll just do a little chant. And this chant is to Amanyange, which means our ancestors. But it also means the nature spirits. So breathing into the life force of your own pulse, feeding that electricity, you might feel it as a tingle, You might feel it as temperature change of cold or hot. Just sit up straight so you can feel your own spine.
So we are saying uh, we honor and praise the great ones, the wisdom keepers of our humanity, and we're asking those wisdom keepers to open the road for us to help us remember our humanity. Tamako. Great. So great. Thank you so much, John, for hanging with me today. And hopefully I'll get out. Those of you who can see this on YouTube, you see the beautiful retreat tent yeah. in the Kalahari. Wouldn't that be great? You yeah. never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Thanks, Raghu. Thank you. Uh, everybody, of course, will have all the links to it even uh not even but also including craig's film uh, my octopus teacher for those of you uh who haven't seen it before and everything that john is doing and if you're interested in joining his uh retreats uh that will be linked up as well through your website right that's right yes which is john john lockley.com yeah, mm. L-O-C-K-L-E-Y. And uh, boy, this is, uh, I'm doing more of these kinds of things myself, John, just talking to people who are involved the way you are. Mm. Uh, and uh, there couldn't be anything more a priority for us yeah. as humans right now. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Raghu. Thank you. This, this is uh, Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you get that plethora of incredible teachers and thought leaders on the network. And we shall see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm.